Good morning. It's so good to see you all here this morning on a bright wintry day. Who is excited to see snow again? Some of us, some of us are still excited that there's a fresh white coat just to make things look a little prettier. Our sermon series, as we are continuing, is Rediscover Church. We're posing nine key questions about church, and as we consider the answers to each of those questions, I hope that you would consider and think about what's the next step you need to take in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? What's the next step in your faith as you're growing? Maybe you've been watching online. We are happy to have you with us. Maybe you're watching downstairs. Uh, We have a, a room down there with a screen set up. So wherever you are, I'm glad you're here today. And if you still haven't shown up and walked through the doors, those of you watching online, we would love to have you here with us. So come on out and fellowship with us, worship with us, and be part of the church with us. The questions that we're considering each week come from this book. It's called Rediscover Church, and I believe there are still copies back on the back table uh, in the Welcome Center. You can grab one of those with, um, on your way out, take it with you and read it. Tonight at our growth group, we'll be diving a little bit deeper into today's question. So if that's something you want to do, join us tonight, and you can uh, make sure you get a book ahead of time for that. The book is by Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen. It's not a commercial for the book because we're giving it away. You don't have to buy it. But it just considers why we go to church, why we gather together, what's important about that. And we've been talking about a number of different questions. We're at the halfway point. We've already answered the first five questions. Today's going to be question number six. So if you want to catch up, you can go to our website, you can go to our YouTube channel, and you can watch those services. So we're going to review our answers this morning. We'll see if one of these clickers is working. It is, but you are faster than me, Elena. Good job. So our first question, I'm going to read the question and then read the answer with me, please. What is church? A group of people who know they are loved by Christ and have begun loving one another that way. Who can belong? Believers who have been baptized. Why do we gather, especially in person? There is strength and growth when members physically gather together. Why are preaching and teaching central? God's Word is our authority for life and church. Is membership really necessary? Yes, church membership is seen in the New Testament, and joining says, this is the group of believers I want to care for and to be cared for. Last week we had, is church discipline really loving? Yes, because showing God's holy love means teaching and correcting members. And today, since it's Valentine's weekend, all of these things have to be wrapped up in love. Because if we're doing them out of duty, if we're doing them out of trying to be an authority, it's not being done in the love that God calls us to. God's love is always putting us first, putting us and what we need ahead of himself. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because he knew we couldn't do that for ourselves. We couldn't take care of our sin problem, so he was willing to die in your place, in mine. And as followers of Jesus Christ, he's calling us to have that kind of sacrificial love. Am I willing to give up my comfort? Am I willing to give up what I prefer to love somebody else 
and for people in church to be here, to be part of the body, to care for each other. So today's question is, how do I love different members? You've probably heard this before, but if people are talking about someone difficult in their group and everybody's wondering who that person is, it's probably you. If you have no idea who the person is that's causing trouble, it just might be you. How do I love people who are different? Anybody different out there today? Willing, willing to say it? I'm different. If you've gotten to know me at all, you know I'm, I'm pretty different. So how do we love people who are not just like us? That's important to know. How many of you are excited, since we're good at raising our hands this, this morning? Get ready again. How many of you are excited about all the new people we saw last year? Wasn't that great? People were coming out, people we've never seen before. People were inviting friends, people were watching online, and people started coming to church, and it was so great to see. Throughout the year, as COVID went up and down, our attendance went up and down, but we ended with people coming to church, wanting to worship together, wanting to hear God's word. So if we were planning and thinking about how can we pack out this church? There's a couple of pews that have some room in it right now. If you look around, there's still some room. So how could we fill this church with as many people as quickly as possible? First of all, all of my message, messages should make you feel good. You don't want to hear about being a sinner. You don't want to hear about problems. You just want to hear that things are great. You're great. You're an awesome person, and there's nothing that needs to change. That's a good message to hear, isn't it? People would want music that fits their style. It's exactly what they love. It gets their toes tapping, their hearts thumping, maybe gets them off their feet. That's what you need is great music. Maybe a worship band that has its own CDs and it's popular online and people start coming because they want to be part of that band, be part of that worship time. Having small groups for absolutely every interest, singles, empty nesters, young professionals, bikers, hunters, the fly fishing small group. That might be a small group, but it could still be the group that fits you. Finding a segment of the population that in our area is the key group and then catering to everything that group wants. We could fill all of the seats in the church. And while that might work, sorry to say that is not the model that Jesus taught. Jesus didn't say, preach the word to make people feel good. He said, preach the word so that people would repent and know that they're loved by God. Know that the kingdom is coming. Know that you have a sin problem and that needs to be fixed. He wants our church to be a fellowship of different people, not all the same. He taught us to love all kinds of people, even our enemies, different tribes, different nations, different skin shades, different cultures, different languages, different ages, different financial backgrounds, different everything. So when you look around this morning, you might be in a pew with family members, so the people around you might look like you, but as we look around, do we see different people or is everybody exactly the same? I have three points that I want to share with you this morning. If you like taking notes, you'll find them in your bulletin. The first one is, how do we 
as we answer the question, how do we love members who are different? The first one is that church is for sinners. The second one is diversity or uniformity. This is just the big picture. And the third one is a fellowship of difference. It's going to help us see what God's Word says about loving the different. Before we dive into God's Word this morning, let's bow our heads again in prayer and ask Him to open our hearts and prepare them. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this morning. Thank You for each and every one that's here with us. Thank You that we could worship You, that we could lift up the name of Jesus Christ, that we could sing about our unity that we could sing about your mercy and your love, that we could sing about our need for a Savior. And Lord, I just pray that this morning as we hear your word, that the soil of our hearts would be prepared. It would be ready to receive the truth of your word, ready to hear what you want us to hear, and be ready to change our hearts, to change our thoughts, to change the way we live our lives, change our actions. Let us be hearers, Lord, but also doers, going out and loving others the way you love us. I just thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here this morning. Thank you that we can go into your word and just pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Before Jesus established the church, and that's important to know that he is the one who established the church. Church was not man's idea. We talked about that a couple couple messages ago. Before he established the church, he he chose 12 men to be his closest disciples. We read about that in the Gospel of Mark. It's also in the Gospel of Matthew. He called them apostles and he said, I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to be the foundation, just as the 12 tribes of Israel were the foundation for God's chosen people. So he chose 12 apostles to be the foundation of the church. As we see in the Gospels, a number of the disciples were working fishermen, rough around the edges, working hard men, men with strong hands, rough hands, probably rough mouths. They didn't know how to act in public society. Another one was a tax collector. He was hated by his own people because he was a sellout to Rome. Another one was a political zealot who was ready to fight and die for freedom from Rome. Let's hear what happened when this group of people got together in Matthew chapter 9. You can follow on screen or you can read along in your Bible. Oh, by the way, if you're in a pew with a burgundy Bible, lift it up and show me. If there's a burgundy Bible in front of you, okay, lift it up high. There are a number of those interspersed throughout the church, and the reading size on those is better for people with my kind of eyes. So if you find that the black Bibles are a little hard to see and you want to pull out like a magnifying glass, those burgundy Bibles are easier to see. So anytime you come in, sit by one of those or grab one ahead of time. Anyway, let's read Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 to 13. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In this passage, Matthew is sitting down to eat with his newest disciple, Matthew. Jesus is sitting down to eat with Matthew. And Matthew invites all his friends because he just met the Messiah. He just met the Lord. He talked to God face to face, and he was so excited to share this experience that he wanted all of his co-workers, all the people he knew, to meet Jesus. Isn't that great? And so what do the religious leaders say? What's this group of people? Why are you sitting with them, Jesus? Don't you know that these are the sellouts? These are sinners? These are terrible people. Why would you talk to them? And then the Pharisees say to the disciples, why is your master eating with these people? Jesus hears them even though they might have whispered it in the corner, because he's God, he knows what they're thinking and he knows what they said. And he said, if people are looking for a doctor, it's because they know they're sick. They know they have a need. But you, you don't think you need anything. You think your righteousness is good enough because you're good enough. You're doing sacrifices, you're following all the laws, but it's all about you, and it has nothing to do with true worship of God. This was right in their faces, and they knew exactly what he was saying, and they hated him for it. But Jesus said, these are the people I came to save, people who realize that they need help. They need a Savior. And those are the kind of people that need to come to church, people who know that they need help. Many in the church today and over the years have been confused, just like the Pharisees. Isn't church for people with the right political views? Isn't church for people who dress right, who talk right, who act right? For people who have their act completely together. You know, people just like me, we think. Why aren't people like me? Wouldn't the world be so much easier if everybody was just like me? I would never have a problem. I'd get along with all of you if you acted like me all the time. But that would be a terrible world, wouldn't it? The Pharisees thought they were good enough. Matthew, these tax collectors, the people that they were saying, look at these sinners, they knew that they needed Jesus. They had a past filled with guilt, and they knew that they needed to be made clean again. And they'd been trying Maybe some of them going to the temple and offering sacrifices and then realizing there's no change. All I'm doing is seeing lambs killed and I still feel just as terrible. What can I do? And at just the right time, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. These people experienced Jesus' love and his forgiveness and they couldn't live without him. Simon the Zealot sat next to Matthew the tax collector, the Roman collaborator. And they were both loved by Jesus. They both learned about how the kingdom of God works and how they would go to heaven because they had trusted in the Savior, trusted in the Messiah, and that that kingdom goes so far beyond their political differences and some of their ideologies. Today, that might look like a pro-Trump person who 
marched on the White House, sitting down next to a vaccination clinic volunteer. I know both of those statements were wildly political, but just think about people who are at ends of a spectrum sitting down together. Why would that ever happen? Why would they ever even want to be in the same pew, let alone in the same room? Because of Jesus Christ. Because people who know that they need a Savior can recognize that there's more, that the spiritual life is more than what's going on around us. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, but for people to come together, they need Jesus. It got so quiet in here. I know that made you uncomfortable for me to say it, and that's why I said it, because I want you to think about people that make you feel uncomfortable and think, can I love that person? Is it possible that God loves that person? That Jesus died on the cross for that person that I think has just got terrible views on everything? Did Jesus die for them? Did he die for me? Am I better than that person? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, says that all of us are sinners. All of us are in need of forgiveness. All of us need to repent of our sin to recognize that we stand before a holy God and we need our sins to be forgiven. We need salvation. Church is for people who recognize that they're sinners in need of a Savior. It's not for people who think that we're already perfect just the way we are. We're a group of people who know we are sinners. And as we said before, we know that we're loved by Jesus Christ We've been forgiven by Jesus, and we've begun loving other people that way. That's what church is for. Not trying to be perfect, not trying to impress other people, trying to love people the way you've been loved. Church is for sinners. Our second point this morning is a question of diversity or uniformity. It's so easy to fall into the world's ideas about what a perfect community looks like. And there's basically two options. Groups or organizations may celebrate diversity by highlighting, by prioritizing the differences. Ethnic nationalities, gender, skin tone, today sexual orientation. All of these differences are good. All of them are right. They should all be celebrated. But unfortunately, when there are moral issues with differences like gender, sexuality, any of these things, they're being taught as self-identity instead of moral choices. Instead of what does God say about this, we're saying, how do I feel about this? People are taught that it's right to feel good, to feel right when all of these various identities are included in our community. And a room full of faces that all look alike is just wrong. There's probably something morally wrong with these people. They're not loving because they're all the same. Where are the differences? Where is the diversity? And groups force diversity by saying everybody's included. But then there's also a celebration of uniformity. In much of the world, different ethnicities are not supposed to mix. We live in America, which is often called the melting pot, because we said to the world, give us your tired, your poor, your neglected. Come here for freedom. Come here for a chance 
at life, for a chance at making something. And many of our parents and grandparents did that. So we have groups of people from all over the place. But that's not true in a lot of parts of the world. When we lived in Ireland briefly, a lot of people looked alike because they had lived there generation after generation after generation, and there just wasn't a lot of mixing of different people. And if you think about our traditional views of a lot of different cultures, we think, oh, people look like this, their skin, their hair, their eyes, they're all, they all look the same. If you go to New Jersey where I grew up, a lot of people look like me because they're Italian, they're French, they're German, they're English, they're Irish, they're Scottish. And now there's a new look that's a blend of all of those things. But much of the world is still separated where they think staying Swedish is important. We need to stay Swedish or staying Romanian is important. We need to hang on to that and not let other people mix in with us. Maybe they live in a remote area where this village or town has existed for hundreds or even a thousand years and it's the same families that have lived there so long that everybody's the same. They think the same. They look the same. They have the same last names. There are many parts of the world that still have caste systems where people are separated into social classes. And there's no possibility of changing places. Some countries have political systems that demand obedience to the state in everything. We're seeing some of that as we watch the Olympics. You're told what job you're going to have. You're told what school you can or can't go to. You're told what religion or no religion that you're allowed to practice. You're told how many kids you're going to have. Everything is dictated to you. There is uniformity, and it's forced. Uniformity can feel comfortable. It can feel natural when everybody around you looks, talks, acts, and maybe even thinks the same. But the problem with these two opposites diversity and uniformity, is that they often create a community by excluding others. They exclude others who are not like them. If you're not the right kind of person for the diversity group, then you're excluded. Even though they're saying diversity is great, if you don't agree with every single one of the diversity issues, then you're canceled. You're out. It's an, it seems like an oxymoron, right, for a diversity group to say, well, we love everybody except you. And often that's people who say, God's word is the standard, and we don't get to decide what we are or what we think we are. There's no room for discussion. There's no room for disagreement often in either one of these places. To the uniformity group, this is the way we've always done it. We've always been plumbers, and you're going to be a plumber, and you're son and daughter are going to be plumbers, and that's just the way it is. I'm Joe Plumber, so what else are you going to be? You can't be a lawyer named Joe Plumber, can you? It's forced. We're all going to be the same. Sometimes churches start looking like this. They take these positions, maybe because their own members haven't experienced diversity. They haven't experienced different cultural groups around them. Even within our town, I've found out about the different neighborhoods where everybody lived, and it, this was the Italian section, this was the Polish section, the Irish section, and a lot of that happened as immigrants came, and they, they said, oh, here's, here's a neighborhood, and there's a room for rent next door. So naturally, family gathered near each other. 
But eventually, they start mixing. They start talking. They realize that those other people are okay too. Makes me think of Dr. Seuss and the Sneetches. Anybody remember that book with the stars on ours? Differences are not always bad. So sometimes churches are in a neighborhood where everybody's the same, and that's the way they look. And they start thinking, well, this is, this is right, because this feels good. This is easy for us. We don't have to listen to different ideas. We don't have to sing different kinds of music. We can just all be the same, instead of focusing on the unity in Christ, instead of welcoming people. The early church had to fight this. They had to fight against norms because... They lived in a place where the Jewish nation was separated, and God said, you're holy to me. Don't mix with the other people. I want you to stay together. And then Jesus died on the cross, and he said, start a church and invite everybody. And the Jewish people were like, what? You just told us for the last five, six, seven thousand years to not mix with anybody? They forgot that God said, anybody that comes to you is also welcome to worship. If they want to know the one true God, they are welcome. God was saying, stay away from the false gods. Stay away from the evil practices of the people near you. He didn't say hate them. He said, I want you to be a shining light to them, to show them the difference. Let's listen to what Paul said to the early church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2, 13 to 14 and verse 19. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that's the Gentiles, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In verse 19, so then we are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of of the household. Paul is talking to Jewish believers. He's talking to Gentile believers, to slaves and masters, to poor and wealthy, to educated and uneducated. All of these people can be reconciled to God through the same cross, filled and led by the same Spirit. And he said, you believers, you're now fellow citizens. You're members of the same kingdom. You have the same rights. And with one heavenly father, you're part of a family. You're now brothers and sisters. So don't cross the street to avoid each other. Come together. Worship the one true God together. And when the world sees that happening, they're going to notice. Acts tells us that the Jews were afraid and they said, these apostles have turned the world upside down. The world we were used to, the world we were comfortable with, where everybody stayed separate, stayed in their own lanes. What in the world is going on? They're throwing all of that out and mixing it all up with this new teaching about Jesus. This new teaching that everyone can be saved who repents, who comes to Jesus as Savior. The church can't fix diversity. We can't fix all the racial problems in the entire world. But right here in our community, right here on Central Ave, in Dunkirk, in Chautauqua County, in New York, we can be a shining light on a hill for the world to see, for people who come in the doors and say, wow, I feel welcome here. Look at all these different people. 
And we may not all look different, but when we find out that this person has this background and this person comes from there and this person works here and this person works there and you see that not everybody is the same, but you find out that they worship the same Savior, the same Lord, the same Spirit. That we are welcoming all, that we're not prejudiced, that we're not influenced by people with power or money, that there's not a single family that's running the church because they've been here longer than everybody else and they're making sure that things go their way. James warned against that in chapter 2. He said, don't show partiality to certain people. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you show partiality, you are committing sin. The Bible says God loves everyone and God doesn't show partiality. God hasn't chosen those who are rich. It's often those who are poor in the world, the ones who recognize their need for a Savior. They're the ones that started the church. These apostles were not well-to-do men, but they loved Jesus Christ. Their hearts were on fire, and they wanted to share that with everybody around them. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Our third and final point is that we are to become a fellowship of difference with a T. Those of you that are watching or listening online, it's difference, as in the noun pluralized. Word does not like this. It underlines it in red, and it keeps screaming at me every time I spell the word difference because it says that's not a word. Well, today it is. We need to rediscover that our church community is a fellowship of difference, different people, united by Christ alone. When Christ is what binds us together, no pandemic, no election, no social cause can threaten our unity. We're going to be together even when we have differences because we recognize that we are on the same team, that we're here not to fight with each other, but to share the gospel, to share God's love, to show what he's like to those around us. So we draw closer together instead of spreading further apart in love, in empathy, in trust. We don't have to look the same on the outside. We don't have to vote the same. Our standard is biblical obedience, biblical thinking, biblical living, and biblical loving. All of the things that are true for us come from God. And he's given that to us in his word. So when I decide that I like a group better than another group, that's just my opinion. I have to go back to God's word and say, is that the position I should be holding? Is that the opinion I should have? Or does God say something different? My thinking has to change to be in line with God's truth, not what sounds good to me or what all the people around me are saying is the right thing to say or think. What does God's word say? Earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, Cindy read with us about unity in the church. Listen to those first two verses again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all patience and gentleness, with bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. 
this calling that we have is the one hope in Christ. It's to the one Lord and Savior. It's to one faith. It's to the same one baptism, the same one God, and the same Father over all of us. Even though we may be different in so many different ways, our focus needs to be on our unity in Jesus Christ. Not what separates us, but what has brought us together this morning. And I'm glad you came out this morning to come together to worship that one true God. We're making a statement to the world that no matter what we think or how we vote or what we drive or what kind of vegetables we buy, we're here because we love Jesus Christ. We know we've been loved by him and we're loving each other that way. We're striving to anyway. We're not doing it perfectly, but we're going to continue to strive for that. 1 Corinthians 13 I know you were hoping to hear that today because it's Valentine's weekend. How many know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? What chapter is it? The love chapter. It's not that kind of love chapter. Guys, if you haven't bought something or made something, don't forget. This is a public service announcement to keep your relationship strong. This chapter is often read at weddings, but it was originally directed to the church because there were divisions that they were struggling with. It was not Paul preaching at his first wedding and saying, what nice things could I say that someone can embroider into a pillow? He was thinking, how am I going to fix these people? What do they need to hear? They were fighting over serving in the church. They were fighting over who had the better gifts of all things. I'm more spiritual than you because I'm more humble. That doesn't go over, right? Paul describes the members of the church as members of a body, different parts, all functioning together, all having different functions, but working together as a body to accomplish things. In verse 27 of chapter 12, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed all of these different people to serve in the church. They're all different. but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. What's that excellent way? It's love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You don't get to quit on love because God never quits on you. Isn't that great to know that you're in a relationship with a God who will never quit on you? He's going to love you no matter how badly you mess up. He still loves you. Because he knows that here on earth, with our sin nature and our human bodies, we're still going to fail. But he says, I'm going to show you a better way. If you love others the way I love you, life is going to go a little bit sweeter. When you show patience, when you show kindness, when you believe people, that love will endure 
Love in Christ is what makes the church able to withstand divisions, to withstand the differences between members. We're called to value and respect those differences. We're not all from the same background. We're not all gifted with the same gifts to share with the church. But all of these people, all of these members are here together for your good so that we can better understand each other, we can better serve each other, and to learn how to better love and serve our neighbors, the people outside of the church. It's better for your spiritual growth if you're surrounded by people who are different from you, a fellowship of difference, so that you can see how God works in all different situations, in all different kinds of people, how you can respect and honor them, even though they're different from you. People who are not exactly like you, people who can challenge you and encourage you to think and act differently. You know what happens when political leaders surround themselves with yes men and yes women, right? All they hear is how great they are and how all their ideas are fantastic, and they fail miserably because no one is willing to tell them the truth. No one is willing to have them consider anything different than the way they're thinking already. Jesus said in John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Not by our judgment, not by our nice outfits and straight ties. They're going to know we are Christians by our love. Do you know God's love? Have you experienced that? If you're having trouble loving people around you, if they bug you and irk you, then it's possibly because you're not thinking about how much God loves you, how patient God is with you, how every morning His mercy to you is new and refreshed, and He's ready for you to start a new day and do some things right and do some things wrong, and He still loves you. In fact, He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one, who lived a perfect life, showed us what God's love is like. The way he treated the poor, the way he treated the wealthy, the way he treated the educated and uneducated. I can't even say that word, that's great. He treated everyone with love and respect. The people he had a hard time with were the people who hated everybody and turned religion and faith in God into something to make themselves look better. The hypocrites, those were the people that he struggled with the most and challenged constantly. Don't you see what you're doing? Don't you see how much God loves you? Why are you treating other people this way? The Bible tells us that our sin is what separates us from that loving, perfect, holy God. That we can't go to heaven with our sin still covering us. So Jesus died on the cross so that his blood would wash away your sin. He was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb, dying in your place, paying for your sins, 
and then rising from the dead to show that he had power over death and the grave, that he could bring you eternal life, that he could bring you new life as well. Salvation restores that broken relationship with God. And the church is called to help others see their need to be right with God. Not to help people see that they're miserable, they're terrible, and that we're better than them. We're called to be loving people the way we've been loved. As someone said, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So this morning, a couple of takeaways, some thoughts just to leave with you. You can answer these on your paper. You can let them spin around in your head during the day today. If you want to talk to me about any of them, give me a shout. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you truly know God's love and forgiveness? Do you honor and respect people whose backgrounds are different from yours? Do you hope all things in love? Does love affect the way you act with other people? Do you strive to maintain unity and peace? Or is it about getting your way and things going the way you want them to? Are you excited about our church looking like a gathering in heaven? Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says, After this, this is the Apostle John, after this, I looked and beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All nations, all tribes, all people, all languages. That's what our church should look like right here on earth before we get to the kingdom in heaven. The kingdom that he's building here should look like that future kingdom. Are we building a church that's going to grab the world's attention because we're united in our differences? That as you talk to people, during the work week, during the school week, talking to your neighbors over the fence, and you talk about what you do on Sundays as you gather together, what you do in your small group and the people that are there, that they say, wow, you really know all those people and, and they're your friends? You hang out with all those people? That's going to show the world that Jesus Christ is the answer, not us being the same or being so diverse that we meet all of the boxes and we check them all off. That's what the church is supposed to look like. So if you're not a member of this church yet, we would love to have you join and become part of the difference. Next week, as Yvonne mentioned, we're having an intro class and it includes lunch. So we ask you to sign up just so that we can make sure we have enough good food for you. The sign-up sheet is on the Welcome Center counter out in the lobby. It's free, and you don't have to join when you're done. You can just hear everything. You can ask all the questions and then say, yes, I'm in, or I need to wait a little more. I need to learn a little more. It's a place where you can ask questions. So plan on joining us in that next week.
Normally, Mark comes up at this time, and I close in prayer, but instead, I'm going to lead in singing. The song is kind of high, so I'm going to ask you to stand with me and sing really loud, because it's just like two notes above my normal range. And then we'll close in prayer. Even louder, so you don't hear me. I need the words. Of the part of the family of God, I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. One more time. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed by the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this song. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we are different, that we can come together and worship you in unity, in love. Thank you that you broke down the barriers between us and a holy and perfect God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that that blood covers us, covers our differences, and teaches us to love each other the way you love us. So let the love and peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, unified in one body and one Holy Spirit, part of the same family, sons and daughters of God our Father. In the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.